a lot of people have this yeah. like belief that they need to make a ton of money, save up like a hundred grand, to put 20% down on a property and then fix it up and then potentially do Airbnb. From what I hear, a lot of your students have like zero dollars in and yeah. they basically follow yeah. a method. And so yeah, subleasing is just a great way to get your feet wet. It's not like you're risking $80,000. You could launch a sublease with 10 to 15 grand. I have a student, 26 years young. Last month, she netted, this is crazy. I have the testimonial. She netted 60,000. So I believe one of the biggest opportunities in 2023 and 2024 is going to be Airbnb. I think what's ultimately going to be happening here is we're going to see so many people that never considered Airbnb before start moving into Airbnb. And today I have Jorge Contreras on, and he's going to teach us a little bit about what's going on in Airbnb, some big trends, what to do, what not to do. And so Jorge Contreras, come on on. What's up? What's up, man? <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. Yeah, you have about 3,000 students. 3,000 plus students in the last five years, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen so many things happen in real estate probably the last three years. This big boom around 2020 and 2021 with record low interest rates, people jumping into house flipping and Airbnb. And then we started to kind of, from what I've heard, a little bit of a pullback. But what I think is ultimately going to happen is Airbnb is likely going to launch. Yeah. And the reason for that is going to be this affordability crisis that we're in. Have you seen anything around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, right now, definitely, you know, I see people, a lot of people traveling less and spending less. There's definitely a contraction in the market, but I feel like we provide such a unique experience compared to what hotels can't that I feel like Airbnb and short-term rental, especially with what we do with houses, it's always going to be a very unique opportunity. Yeah, definitely. So I heard um, it was what, I think 2020 to 2022. 40% of all mortgages in America were taken out during that period at record low interest rates and record high home prices. And so what I'm betting is that what we start to see is people turn to Airbnb to bring more liquidity from their homes. So the people that end up needing to lease their homes out, they'll look at what they can get on a long-term rental compared to a short-term, and then they're going to start moving in that direction. Yeah, I agree with that. Is there a certain markets that you think are really great for Airbnb? You know, I always tell people to stick to uh, primary markets, right? You always want to, for example, like all my properties are in California. So typically areas like Newport Beach, Long Beach, areas around L.A. City. And I'm not talking about Compton or Watts, but like the strong, desirable areas of, of L.A., like Mid-City, Echo Park, Silver Lake, where usually rents are high, mortgages are high. Everybody wants to live there because you're in the middle of everything. Right. These strong primary markets are definitely performing really well compared to secondary and tertiary markets. Like when you go, we used to live in LA, right? Yeah. So if you go into the Valley, um, you know, West or East into the Inland Empire or Joshua Tree, a lot of those areas are struggling right now during this contraction. So definitely sticking to those primary markets. So I, if in LA County, I know, you know, rent regulations is very strict. If you do leases shorter than 30 days, do you then somehow uh, move away from some of those regulations? So it depends. Like, for example, in the city of L.A., you're only allowed to have one short-term rental permit per operator. But what we've done is I got one under my name, one under my wife, then my cousin, and then my mom. So that's one way that you can get around it. But again, in, in the city of L.A., they also require the operator, the person with the permit, to live on site. But I can guarantee you that 95% of people don't live on site. And I'm not encouraging that. Yeah, I always yeah. want people to follow the rules. But I just think that a lot of people are riding the wave because they haven't cracked down on that rule, even though they made it, they're not really enforcing it. So people are just riding the wave until they do. But that is one of the challenges with short-term rentals is the regulation. So in a place like Silver Lake, for example, 
where it's a very expensive, great location, uh, massive gentrification the last few yep. years. A traditional one bedroom would rent for what? Three grand or 3,500? Yeah, exactly. But how about on Airbnb? What would they be able to pull? I would say at least 30% more, 25 to 30% more is reasonable. Got it. And so do you advise generally in a place like LA where it's pretty expensive to buy or to do a lease and then kind of sublet? You know, I always tell people that they should look at it as two phases, right? I think we can agree that the goal should be to own the real estate. There's just, there's never, you're never going to get more benefits from arbitrage in the long term than from owning the real estate because that's where you get all the benefits. That's how uh, a lot of entrepreneurs who invest in real estate become millionaires through their net worth Definitely. because of the appreciation. But like perfect example is in early 2019, I wanted to replace my wife's nine to five and I knew I needed three Airbnbs to do it based on my numbers from what I did in 2017 and 2018, but I didn't have the capital to go and buy. And I didn't know any of these other creative financing strategies. So I'm like, man, I need the down payments, the closing costs, the furniture. I don't have the money to acquire three rentals. Right. But I did have the money to go and sublease three properties. And so it was a short term goal to replace her nine to five. So I always tell people, Go, in, go all in on arbitrage, replace your nine to five, get those 40 to 60 hours back, and then start buying real estate once you become financially free. That makes sense. So you've been doing this since 2017? Buying and doing short-term rent. So I started buying real estate in 2012. When I was uh, 24, I started buying property. And in 2017, I launched my first four units on Airbnb that I already owned. 2019 went all in on arbitrage and then 2020 started buying a ton and now a, a ton of real estate got it because i think a lot of people have this yeah. like belief that they need to make a ton of money save up like 100 grand to put 20 percent down on a property and then fix it up and then potentially do airbnb yep. but from what i hear a lot of your students have like zero dollars in and yeah. they basically follow yeah. a method and so yeah subleasing is just a great way to get your feet wet and at least for my audience most of my audience are nine to fivers who want to become entrepreneurs and so this is a great way right they got to hire a handyman someone to do cleaning someone to do maintenance communication so they start building these entrepreneurship skills with a low barrier to entry right it's not like you're risking eighty thousand dollars you could launch a sublease with ten to 15 grand, depending yeah. on if it's a you know, single family home or a studio, they start getting this experience and then they could build from there. Um, but like I said, I always tell people, start with subleasing, replace your nine to five, and then start buying the real estate. On the other hand, something that I started doing back since 2012, and uh, I think I, you might've started this way too, is like house hacking, right? So like I, I had a mortgage of 1500 with utilities, it was 1800 back in 2012. I lived in a master, rented three rooms for 600 a pop. And then I started doing the exact same thing with short-term rentals in 2017. So I would buy a house like every couple of years, do a split home ADU, and I would buy it with an FHA loan or 5% conventional. Yeah. But I would Airbnb one side, live on the other side, live for free, and then do it again and again and again. Yeah, so it's funny, like most of my friends that have done extremely well, and myself as well, when getting into real estate, they all focus on cash flow and building out equity and building out the next step yeah. versus like running out there trying to buy their dream home and then hoping that that nine to five continues to grow and the world works perfectly and it never does. So <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's really cool. So LA is generally the area in which you focus on. Do you have any other markets that you work in? So we're operating in uh, San Diego County, LA County, uh, Inland Empire, and then, uh, well, we had one in Joshua Tree. That was the one that was bleeding, and we just let go of that one. But all the other ones are still cash flow positive. But the ones that we have in secondary markets, like in the Inland Empire, the again, it's just less cash flow. It used to be like two grand, now it's like 800 to 1500. 
the ones in the primary markets of LA County, those are still doing two to three grand in cash flow. That's really, I appreciate you telling me about one that's bleeding because sometimes people will leave out because oh, no. in business, not everything goes well. Like even yeah. if you have a great business, it's never like this. Yeah. It's always like this. Yeah. Yeah. Let me elaborate. So we acquired this property in Joshua Tree, beautiful four bedroom, two bath, 2,800 square foot on almost three acres with a jacuzzi pool, beautiful property with a view and it was only like two miles from the national park of uh, Joshua Tree. We uh, closed on it and right away we started losing like 4,000 a month because it was a long escrow. We bought it off market. It was my first time buying a property off market. And it took about four months from the time that we opened escrow to us actually closing all these price modifications. And during that time is when we had the most amount of rate increases. So. I think that our, our projections were telling us that we were going to make like four to 5,000 a month, but the market started contracting during that time. And so we started losing 4,000 a month immediately. And that went on for like six consecutive months. And then we ended up selling it and ended up losing another 30,000 in the back end. So it was like a 50, $60,000 loss. Yeah. But again, it was a great lesson. I don't see it as a failure because now, you know, during the last recession, I, I didn't own real estate in 2008. I don't know if you did, you know, no. I, I was maybe a little too young, but now that I'm experiencing this, I know to just stick to the primary markets. Like I'm not, sometimes people have this belief, like, you know what, I'm going to go to the cheaper areas and maybe sometimes that works, but at least in this current market conditions, the people who have properties in those secondary and tertiary markets with short-term rentals are struggling. Yeah. So my biggest takeaway is, man, even if it costs more, it's always going to be worth it to stick to those strong primary markets that hold their value more, their appreciation, and perform better from a cash flow perspective during times like this. Definitely, definitely. What what areas do you think are going to offer some of the most upside for, you know, not just in like California, but in other places? Do you like yeah. places like Southern Florida? And you know, I'm a, uh, um, I have students that are doing really well in Dallas. Like I have a student, she just sent me a testimonial yesterday. She's 26 years young. She actually was born and raised in Venezuela. She's only been in Texas for like two, three years. Yeah. And last month she netted, this is crazy. I have the testimonial. She netted 60,000. Jeez. She did a hundred thousand gross. 60,000 60, net, she, net, she has 14 subleases, subleases all in the Dallas area. So tell, tell me, um, sorry to cut you off there, but tell me sure. about, how did that happen? Because to have 14 rentals, it doesn't just start For where, sure. I think a lot of people think, especially with social media, people yeah. just like blow up and now they have all this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So what worked is her boyfriend had a, a lot of capital to deploy and they partnered up with a real estate agent that was very familiar with like the markets, had a lot of relationships. Obviously, every time he would help somebody buy a property, instead of having them put it as a long term, he would like sublease from them. So that was like a low hanging fruit. The trust was already there yeah. and the relationship was already established. So, yeah, between the three of them or I, I guess her boyfriend and the guy financed everything and she's the one like running the operations. And again, just to clarify, like this isn't something that happens every day. In fact, that's not even common, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because sometimes people put out there like the best story and say, oh, this is going to this gonna happen with everyone who does short-term rentals in Dallas. And, but no, they went all in. Most of their properties are three to five-bedroom single-family homes with game rooms. They got pools. They got jacuzzis. Definitely, they're probably putting like twenty-five to 30000 into each property. And they're and leasing these, right? And they're subleasing all 14, and they started about two years ago. So what does that lease look like? When you're about to put 20, 30 grand into somebody's property, you obviously want to protect your back end right. to make sure that the landlord's like, you know, six months, 12 months in, he doesn't have a problem or 
Yeah. So we're doing two to three year leases is what we're recommending because let's say it takes you, let's say it doesn't perform as good as you think. And maybe yeah. after it takes you 10 months to recuperate your money. You don't want to be in profit for two months. Yeah. You want to be able to, you know, keep that lease going. So we recommend for people to get two to three year leases uh, or at least have the option to renew after 12 months. And then at that point, they got to make sure that, you know, they pay the landlord on time, make sure that there's a very minimal wear and tear uh, that they take care of anything that comes up with each reservation. So by the time it's the 12 month mark, the property is still in good condition. Right. So, so when, when they list these properties, they're obviously, I would assume they're not just doing what everyone else is doing. They probably have a certain system that they follow to make their listings pop more, get better reviews. I don't know if they do like virtual tours, but I would imagine to have that type of success making, you know, 700 grand a year that they probably have some type of yeah. system. You know, I always tell my my students and just everybody on social media, like people stay at Airbnbs for two reasons. One, like I'm here actually at a conference this week in Miami and uh, I'm staying at a hotel because I was closer than any of the Airbnbs. Yeah. Proximity's power. But if I was staying at an Airbnb, I'd pick like the closest Airbnb because I don't want to drive 30 minutes every morning and every night. So I would book the Airbnb because I'm going to be at a conference and I just, just for convenience, right? Yeah. The second reason people book short-term rentals is because they're going to have a staycation experience. This blew up during the, you know, during the pandemic. And that's where you have a property with a pool, a jacuzzi, a game room, and maybe it's a three bedroom, two bath. You could host eight people or 10 people in groups of family or businesses or colleagues get together just to have a great experience in the home without needing to leave the home. Got it. Now, what happens is when you cross those two, right, when you get a property, say, near the Miami Beach Convention Center, and it has all those amenities we just mentioned, then you like automatically are going to be in the top 3%, right? If the property's renovated, if they went all out on the decor, great photography. So we always tell our students, like, go for the better property, because in the end, it's always going to make more sense. That makes sense. So when they're building out their team, does it mainly consist of like property manager, a maintenance person, like what would you suggest for somebody that's yeah. like, they have a, a goal of let's say having what you did to, yeah. to retire your wife. You have yeah. three rentals. What does that team look like? Yeah. So there's really three operations in the Airbnb, right? You need somebody to clean, someone to do maintenance and someone to do communication. So we typically hire a virtual assistant on upwork.com yep. that already has experience doing communication. So it's not like you're training in from scratch when you go in there and you search on the talent section, Airbnb communications or Airbnb co-host, these people might already be operating 10, 20, 30 Airbnbs in different countries and already have the experience and will even help you run things more efficiently. So those are the three people and essentially you are the manager. So if I'm launching my first Airbnb, I'm the manager and now I have three technicians, right? Just like an E-Myth revisited by Michael E. Gerber. He talks about the technician, the manager and the visionary. So you yep. got the doers, and then the manager who's managing the three technicians. So I teach them how to go into that role right away. Uh, I tell them, I don't want you doing cleaning. I don't want you doing maintenance. I don't want you doing communication because if you do, now you're operating from like an employee mindset and I want you to start thinking leverage. I want you to start thinking, how can I work on the business, not in the business? How do I, how do you automate this Airbnb? And while your team's cleaning it, I want you to go and start looking for the next one. Yeah. Uh, so they go into that role. Once they have five to seven Airbnbs, then they bring an in-house manager, not a third party company, an in-house manager that they could pay like a flat fee. Because if you bring in a third party company, they're going to eat all your cash flow. Like a lot of times our, our, our net profit is like 30 percent. And if you pay them 30 percent, then now you're working yeah, for you're free. Working so we teach them, how, teach them how to build an in-house system. Got it. What do you think the future is going to look like for Airbnb? I hear like 
Starwood, for example, they have like 170,000 rentals. Yeah. And then you have um, Equity Residential, Sam Zell. I think he has like 130,000. I heard something that, you know, those companies, along with some other large corporate landlords, are going to start entering Airbnb. Do you think that's going to be a thing in which it's going to uh, bring more people into the space? I'm actually not familiar with those two brands. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Sure. So um, Barry Starlet, he owns uh, Starwood. So it's the one of the largest yeah, Starwood. Uh, multifamily and single family investors in America. And Sam Zell. They have a partnership with Airbnb to where they're going to start to... Uh, bring this into a lot of their buildings through nationwide. And how many units do they own or how many collectively doors? about 300,000 and they're planning on entering the short term rental market. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. So I think some really cool things are going to be yeah. happening in this space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really uh, interested. What, do, what are yeah. some of the, you know, there, there's two sides to it, right? Just yeah. yesterday, a buddy of mine sent me, um, uh, on Instagram, this post that they're going to start imposing like a 15% tax on short term rentals in California. And it's supposed to be for That's I, California. I, doesn't surprise I know, me. Really. I know, right? And I was like, geez, no wonder John went to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. California is like, I know. Absolutely oh my nuts. God. Today's video is sponsored by Great Credit Fast. Do you want to invest in real estate or possibly Airbnb? Maybe you want to start and grow a company or a business or possibly get debt free. With Great Credit, you're able to achieve all of this and much, much more. The last thing that you want to do is borrow money from a credit card company paying 25 or 27 percent interest because when you look at the real numbers and you look at what's actually happening in the economy that's the worst strategy and it's almost a guaranteed failure take a look at this so if you're borrowing ten thousand dollars at a 27 percent interest rate paying 250 bucks a month it's going to take about nine years to pay this off and about sixteen thousand dollars in wasted resources paid to one of these credit card companies however with great credit you're able to do a balance transfer in most cases and get debt free for 0% interest and pay this off in a fraction of the time. In 2008, banks started tightening up lending restrictions and that's exactly what they are doing now. They're getting ready to tighten up lending restrictions, meaning that if you have that low credit score, 400, 500, 600 credit score, if you're in that even low 700s, it becomes much more challenging to get access to money. But if you look at Blackstone, for example, Blackstone, they are using their credit and their relationships to raise money. They've just raised $30 billion to invest in single family rentals. If you want to invest in real estate, you want to really grow in scale during the greatest wealth transfer of all time, you're going to need great credit to do it. We would love to give you a free consultation to see how we can help you at greatcreditfast.com. That's greatcreditfast.com or give us a call at 561 430 5,900. Now back to the show. I was actually very surprised that he moved, uh, or I don't know, maybe not surprised because I've actually been following your content for uh, a couple of years. I just had so many crazy things happen to me that I'm like, screw yeah. this. Like, but anyways, you know, so there, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things happening where it makes you think like, wow, we're not even scratching the surface. Things are going to go to another level. Like I hear stories like this, these big, uh, these big name brands that are entering the short-term rental market, but then you hear other things like, hey, they're going to impose this no tax. And and then uh, one of my buddies, he he does a lot of commercial real estate, and he's telling me how some of the big hotels are trying to, you know, get with with the state and create more regulation to create more limitations on short-term rentals because then it's going to help help their hotel business. And sure enough, this new 15% tax on short-term rentals in California doesn't impact hotels. It's only like short-term rentals. So. There's like these two sides that are like constantly yeah. competing. So it's going to be really interesting what happens. I don't think short-term rentals are going to go away. I think if anything, they're just going to try to make their piece of the pie as well. Um, but I, I believe short-term rentals are going to be here for the long term. I 100% agree with you. I think that they're here to stay. And I think what's very likely going to happen here is we're going to start seeing a lot of people, like I mentioned a little bit ago, 
rent out their homes and they're going to look for ways in which they can maximize profits. And short-term rentals probably seem like, especially in tourist areas, Dallas, yeah. uh, LA, South Florida, New York, some of these areas in yep. which command higher rents and a higher cost of living, people are going to be like, you know what? Because yep. uh, what's what's crazy is that the average down payment for a first-time home buyer between 2020 and 2022 is only 6%. And then a second, uh, second home for people is 13 so if you look at it like a median of like 10% down, right. the cost of sale is seven and interest rates basically doubled. Right. Most people don't have equity. Right. And so if they're like, okay, the job market's kind of softening and things are kind of changing, people definitely will be renting out their homes, I think more and more often. And so like having an Airbnb strategy, like what you're teaching and what you're doing, I think could save a lot of people and help people make a ton of money. What, do you, what are some red flags people should look out for if they're going to explore that? Absolutely. Yeah. Just to kind of add on to what you said, there's a lot of people out there in that situation where now um, they're making less money or they recently got, you know, now they're unemployed and short term rentals is like the only thing that's going to be able to save them from not being able to pay their mortgage. So many people are relying on short term rentals just to like cover, cover their costs. But yeah, some of the red flags that you want to look out for, and this is mainly for, for larger homes, but anytime you have somebody from the same city, that's one who has a brand new profile, like, hey, this profile was created in May of 2023, and they have no reviews, and they wanna book their pro your property next Friday and Saturday, that's like a red flag. Like the reason we, I think one of the biggest reasons we have a lot of regulation in short-term rentals is because all these people that have thrown parties, and if you think about it, right, maybe there's eight people in the reservation, but now 22 other people came, they took up all the parking, they're super loud, more wear and tear to the property, and all the neighbors are upset. And that's one of the biggest reasons why even a lot of landlords are against subleasing their properties because all they think when you when they hear the word Airbnb is party. And so those are some of the red flags that we usually look out for is if they're from the same city, brand new, brand new profile with no reviews, and it's like a short notice booking on the weekend, you want to make sure you do some digging and, you know, try to scare them off or just not accept the reservation. Right. So when, when you start to have some success with Airbnb and you're starting to make some money, uh, like that student that you mentioned making sixty grand a month, is she starting to pull some uh, kind of some leverage or basically some risk away from Airbnb and saying, you know what, I'm going to do Airbnb full time. I'm going to double down on Airbnb, but I'm going to take some money out. I'm also going to start buying properties. Yeah, that's that's the next phase is they want us now that they've really scaled this and they're doing really well. Their goal is to start buying some real estate now and start diversifying from subleasing, which I think is a great idea. Like I personally have eight that I own, seven that I sublease and three that I manage. And it's a really good portfolio like balance, yeah. right? Because the co-hosting, a lot of people don't talk about co-hosting, but that's where if I manage your Airbnb and then you pay me 20%, but I didn't have to put any rent or any down yeah. payments, no closing costs, no furniture. Basically, I'm profit day one. Yeah, and no I have, risk. I have a piece of all the upside, none of the downside. I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on this opportunity. Yeah. Subleasing is like the sexy girl in the club that everybody wants to dance with but no one's talking about co-hosting. So I, I think it's great to, one of my students just messaged me two days ago. He's like, hey, I got nine co-hosting. Should I go and get my sublease now? I'm like, dude, you have such a great system. Yeah. You're like literally printing money. Like even if you're making 500 or a thousand, those are great numbers compared to what the average real estate investor is making today with long-term. I was like, dude, keep printing money, go get another three and five. And then maybe at the end of the year, let's talk about subleasing. 
So, so what does that look like? Does he basically, he has a system in place. Yeah. He does like the outreach and then he right. pulls him into the system and then so, boom, he does yeah, nothing. Yeah, let's talk about this because I know especially right now with unemployment on the rise and more of it coming, a lot of people are trying to think of a side hustle and they have very limited capital. Like we see it all the time. I just did a webinar yesterday. All these people that applied for coaching, they're like, I want to do this, but I don't have a job and I have like 3000 to my name. So here's a strategy that I think everybody listening here could really take advantage of, right? So we call it co-hosting. You're basically managing other people's Airbnbs in exchange. You get a percentage of all the revenue, whether it's 10%, 15%, or 20%, it's all negotiable. But some of the people that you're co-hosting for, they don't always own the real estate, right? Like you, you might want to sublease someone else's property, but you don't want to be involved because you got your podcast, your coaching, you got the credit, all this legal stuff you're working on. So you want someone like me to come co-host for you, but you're like, hey, Jorge, um, I don't really have time to talk to landlords and I know you have experience. What if I pay you to go acquire the property for me? So then I charge you now an acquisition fee, right? Yep. That acquisition fee, I have students charging from like 700 to like 1700 for the acquisition because they got to find the deals, analyze the deals, close the deals, sign the contracts. It's a lot of due diligence, verify the regulation with the city, verify the numbers on AirDNA rentalizer, all that stuff. And then you might be like, hey, well, I don't want to set it up myself, right? My, my time's too valuable. Can you set it up for me? Now, me as a co-host, I'm going to put together a furniture list, yep. a virtual like design. I'm going to order all the furniture from your, we know from your Amazon account, coordinate that all the boxes go inside. And I'm going to go there with my team and I'm, I'm going to assemble all the furniture, do all the decor, create the welcome books, create the listing and be like, here you go. Right. So there's acquisition fees and then there's like setup and design fees. And then you get a piece on the back end. So now you got like reoccurring revenue on, man, this is like, I even get the chills talking about yeah. it. It's like so many more people should be doing this strategy. Yeah. I, I mean, like <laughs> if you look at situations, people say, oh, you know, what can I do to make money? There's so many things that people can do right now to make money. Like Airbnb, with what you just mentioned, is a situation in which you basically just have to have the work ethic, the mindset, and be organized enough to where you can put a team together and then find the leads, bring them into your system, and basically scale it up with no money in. 100%. It's like an ideal type of situation. Yeah. What type of what type of uh, first steps should people be taking to kind of hop into Airbnb? Yeah, I mean, I would say the first thing is they want to get, you know, acquire some knowledge. If I'm a brand new person doing this and then I want to co-host for you, you might be like, so tell me a little bit about your experience. Do you have a track record or, or are you learning? Like, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't know how to do it, like, then take that's going to through some of the ones you've done. Yeah, and that's like, going to be yeah. risky for you. So I would say the number one thing people should be doing is learning this information, right? The more you know about something, the less risky it is. And the less you know about something, the more risky it is for you and for the investor. So whether it's listening to podcasts or YouTube or investing into a course, like they should educate themselves because at the end of the day, it's only going to give them a better return on, on their time and for their investors. That's like the number one thing. And two, they want to be uh, a part, join communities, right? Like if you go on Facebook, there's a ton of Facebook groups uh, like Miami Airbnb hosts or Miami short term rentals or, you know, Boca Raton, um, you know, um, short-term rental holes, whatever, just type in the city and then short-term rentals, vacation rentals, or STRs. And you're going to find all these communities of people that they're always talking about regulation or, Hey, I need a cleaner and, and just connect with those people. Cause you're going to find a lot of co-hosting opportunities there. Or of course, if you are part of someone's mentorship, you're going to find a community there because there's always going to be people that have the money, but don't have the time. And then there's people that have the time, but don't have the money. 
Yep, that makes sense. You mentioned regulation. When you hear of a situation like uh, California, you mentioned that 15% tax. Sure. If you hear about something coming down the pipeline, are you concerned about it enough to where you would stay away? Or do you still move forward and you're like, I'll deal with it if it actually happens? Because in a place like California, yeah. they talk about so many things. Half of them come true, half don't. So yeah. what do you do with it? Yeah, we'll just have to see to see exactly what pencils out. Because like you said, they're always talking about, oh, they might impose this, but then does it actually happen or not? And then who knows, like, is it going to be on the gross? Is it going to be on the net? Does it start in two years? Like when I got into Airbnbs in 2017, they were already talking about putting the regulation and it took like, was it like two or th they had start started talking about it in 2015. And I, I don't think the regulation started until 2019. So it took like four years yeah. for it to begin. So it's better to just write it, write it out. Cause what if you can make some really good money for the next two years? Definitely. And I always tell people like the money's great, but who you become in the process is even better. Cause that's where you're going to really make money is acquiring the right skills, the knowledge, the information, building your track record that now you can go rinse and repeat in different markets. So when you, if you're going to start fresh, would you look to partner up with someone local in your area? That's also maybe you, you meet on like a Facebook group. Where you're yeah. like, hey, they're doing something. They're starting out, or they have some experience. Yeah, let's see what they're doing and, and kind of do yeah, it that you know, way. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way. Um, you know, that, I think that's a great way to do it. Like, to partner with someone who already has a track record. Yep. And you could find a way to offer them value. So they might be like, you know what, John, I'm so busy working on my portfolio, I don't have time to find new deals. But I'll teach you how to find new deals. And if you find something that meets my criteria, why don't we partner up? And I think that's also a phenomenal way to get started. So many people, that's how they start in real estate. What are some big red flags that people should look out for if they're, um, maybe you've had, out of 3,000 students, I'm sure you've had some that have obviously done extremely well, and then others that uh, maybe walked into um, a situation that they didn't see coming. Uh, I mean, I'm a, a lot of people don't make, I mean, I guess make these mistakes in my community because we're super hardcore. Yeah, like, definitely. The, like we always talk about the three most important things in subleasing, right? Number one, and in this order is like, you got to verify the regulation, right? Can you get a permit in that city? If you can't get a permit, like don't even go there. Right. Because even if you could make money and the numbers look great, it's going to be short lived. And then second, now we, now that we know what you can get a permit, does it make money? So that's when we go into ARDNA. We want to make sure that the margins are there. That's two. If the margins are there and you can get a permit, the last thing is to get permission in writing. Every like couple weeks, somebody will DM me saying, hey, Jorge, the landlord found out that I'm doing short-term rentals and now I got an eviction notice. I'm like, well, you should have learned properly, whether it was from a course or a podcast or YouTube. Right. Like, always get permission in writing. Like all lease agreements say no subleasing. Yeah. Right. So you're in violation of the lease on day one. Get permission in writing. Learn how to pitch landlords and... You do those three things, then you're good to go. Yeah. I would imagine that a landlord would be very open-minded yeah. if you were fully transparent about it from the gate. If someone came up to me and was like, hey, you know, th I know your rent's five grand. I'll give you 5,200, 5,500, sure. whatever. Um, but uh, my intention is to do an Airbnb. Yeah. And this is what I'm looking for. If they approach me like that, I would be much more open to, okay, like tell me a little bit about your model, yeah. how you're going to get tenants. And yeah. if they seem smart and bright, I'd be like, let's do it. Not only that, but <clears throat> a lot of investors either some of them might own other property or know people who own property. So if they have a great experience with you, they might be like, hey, John, my neighbor is actually moving out of their property and they want to rent it out. I've been working with you for eight months. It's been great. Do you want me to connect you? And so people miss out on those opportunities when they go behind their back. They end up like burning bridges. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you see people uh, in your group that are looking forward and saying, you know what, I think that the 
the opportunity is going to be very, very ripe for expansion of Airbnb throughout 2023, given the uncertainty in the economy? Yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're I think like 95% of like industries are like struggling, right? It's just with interest rates high. Yeah. Where it's just everyone, everyone, like everyone I talk to, my buddies who own restaurants are like, oh, I've been working for free for the last five months. They're like no profit. Yeah. And it's like the same story with everyone. So um, I'm telling people to stick to these primary markets where they're still making money but I wouldn't go and launch 30 at the same time. Like you want to make sure you pace yourself because what if they do another three rate increases yeah. and then it gets worse and there's a possibility that it'll get worse before it gets better and you don't want to get caught with your pants down. So right now I would kind of just be cautious in anything, right? Whether you're doing ground up, like you just want to be cautious and not scale too quick in a time like right now, because some people believe, like I saw a video of a uh, thatch win yesterday. He's like, no, this is the bottom. And I saw the right. Yeah. And he was telling people, on the, and I'm like, wow, that's a very interesting perspective. He's like, no, this is the bottom, and it's only going to go up from here. But then you have other people, right, like PBD, who's saying, like, we haven't even seen the worst, guys. There's so much, like, we've seen some unemployment, and that's the last phase of the recession, but we haven't seen the worst of it. Like, and, and I, I went to a, a seminar, uh, not a seminar, but just a class in uh, the Phoebe, the uh, for investors, by investors in Pasadena. And um, Bruce Norris was there and he was saying how all of his markers are pointing towards like a pretty 20 to 30 percent correction. He said the only thing we need is a reason for people to not be able to pay their mortgages. He said, and that would be the tipping point. And he said, and that would be unemployment. Yeah. And he always writes a book where uh, the title of the book has to do with what he thinks is going to happen in the future. And one of the two possible titles, I don't remember the other one, but the second possible is one percent interest rates. And this is just his belief, right? And that guy's been right about California real estate like 10 out of 10 times for the last mo like 30, 40 years. Wow, so he thinks interest rates are gonna go back down there? He believes that interest rates will go up, keep going up, and this is like maybe three months ago that he said this, and it, it'll cause, again, a tipping point on unemployment, because then obviously margins decrease, people start you know, uh, firing people, and now people can't pay their mortgages, Yeah. right? And so then it would create a, uh, an influx of, um, of supply, which would then bring prices down. And then the only way to stimulate the economy like they did in 2009 is to bring down interest rates. So he believes that we will have 1% interest rates in the near future. Yeah, it's very interesting because <laughs> never in time, right? never in history have we seen people who are like, uh, like Thatch, he's a smart guy. I, yeah. Like I watch a lot of his content, yeah. crushing on TikTok yeah. and like, uh, PBD, he also is very bright. He's yeah. an insurance guy, so he's constantly underwriting risk. It's so true. it's like a lot of bright minds have different opinions. One thing I think everyone can kind of agree on is nobody knows what Jerome Powell is going to do because who could have predicted 12 or 13 rate hikes in like 12 months? It's crazy. Right? Like some of my really smart friends are like, oh, they're going to stop hiking in January. And they've hiked you know, multiple times since then. I think what we're going to likely see here is uh, an affordability situa situation. And I think a lot of uh, these small banks, we could start to see more yep. of those problems if they continue hiking rates. Because yeah. if you look at, you know, Ken Griffin, the CEO of Citadel, you know who he is? Uh, no, he, I know Citadel, but yeah, I don't know the CEO. So, uh, Ken Griffin, see, uh, he was like, the, he's the wealthiest hedge fund manager in the world. He's like absolutely crushing it. He came out and said that consumers have a trillion dollars in savings and they're burning 120 to 140 billion a month. By the end of the year, they'll be out of money. Wow. And I'm looking at that. I'm That's like, okay, crazy. well, if we see that, I think what we're likely going to see probably is like banks kind of contracting a little bit. And so those that have business models such as Airbnb, where they can bring in some revenue, where they have very little uh, capital that they need to bring to the table, 
and we start to see a lot more influx in towards Airbnb and towards other business models. We're going to yeah. start to see people that have access to money be able to go out there and pounce on opportunities when everyone else is kind of like in a position where they're sitting with record high debt and they don't know how to get access to money. Yeah, it's going to be interesting what happens, all these different perspectives. But like Robert Kiyosaki always says, uh, don't vote for tails or heads, like stand on the edge. There's three sides to a coin. So I think that's the right thing is you kind of need to stand on the edge and kind of see what's going to happen and not over leverage yourself, like be calculated. Yeah. What um, what do you think about house flipping and burr and uh, other strategies you know, like as we step into the next yeah, year? Personally, I've never done wholesaling. I've never done flipping. And uh, I mean, I've done burrs. Uh, yeah. That's how I purchased like some of my properties. Um, so, I mean, I, like right now, uh, we have three ground up developments. Uh, one's I think I saw one of those on your story. Yeah, one's in escrow and two we closed in the first quarter. But the margins are so big, like they're all like over seven figures in exit that even if the prices drop 30% based on our performance, like we could still pay all the investors back. And that that's something that gives me a lot of peace. Is that, that's in California though, right? Yeah, there, there are there are two in Mid-City and one is in Echo Park. Oh, cool. I love the like those pockets. Yeah. I really like that uh, USC pocket. Yes. Like that, that was a, uh, that I went to a um, USC school in like 2017 like they had like a little certificate program i remember one night i was sitting there watching youtube videos i'm like what am i doing like i'm gonna i need to learn more about real estate and so real estate development in la and so i signed up for this uh, class it was like five thousand bucks uh, at the time it was a lot of money i'm like five thousand dollars for this class i took off three months of work and i did this class from like 7 a.m to like 5 p.m and i would go and learn about real estate and it was like a really really awesome experience there's like a lot of architects and engineers and different people that worked in the city that were in this class and um, learned a ton. And I mean, it really kind of like changed my life, the yeah. way that I look at real estate, putting yourself in a position to like learn and get around people. Yeah. 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 It's exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we got these three ground up developments, but now we're like, all right, let's, let's not get any more of those in the contract. Now let's focus on value add. Um, actually, one of my next moves is acquiring like a hotel. So I'm looking at, uh, I've always been fascinated by the idea of hotels ever since I got into short-term rentals because I always like to be 10 steps ahead. I'm like, okay, let's just say Airbnb's got banned. Yeah. But I still want to, I love the idea of Airbnb's because you have a business operating on top of the real estate. So it's like cash flow on steroids. And so the idea of a hotel is like, you can't ban it because they have a specific license that yeah. regardless of regulation with short-term rentals, that doesn't impact them. And I love that idea. That's and really it, smart. Especially if I go into like, for example, I just found this 35 key uh, property in uh, Culver City I'm looking at right now. <clears throat> and Culver City is obviously part of a, you know, city of LA. So they're part of that regulation. So that just means there's less Airbnbs, less supply because you can only get one permit. Not everyone knows the strategy I mentioned earlier. And what if they do start cracking down and checking like, hey, is the operator actually living on site like they're supposed to? all that demand still going to be there. There's just going to be less supply. So if I acquire a hotel and do a value add and implement a lot of these amenities and strategies I've been doing with short-term rentals, I think it could be like a, a really solid opportunity. So that's that's one of my next moves. Yeah, I, I <laughs> love the mom and pop hotel niche. Yeah. And the reason for it is they got, that group got hit especially hard, 2020, 2021. And many people took out record high loans yes, on these properties exactly. to offset the costs that they were going through. And so now they're in a situation where they got to refinance. They need to get, they got to refi. Yep. And so if you're able to go in there and pick up some of these mom and pop shops and then uh, increase the value, yep. I mean, it's a, a huge, huge win. So I, I think it's a really, really cool idea. Would you ever go into different markets? Or are you mainly focused in California? 
You know, that's a good question. The reason I'm 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 crazy enough to st <laughs> stick around in California is because my my two, I have a couple different partners, but two of my three partners are really strong operators. Yeah. And man, they just they both have been working in the LA market. One for over a decade. He used to be, work for some really big equity firms, uh, like private equity firms, and yeah. while working as a W two for them. He did like 1.6 billion in ground up development. He even had equity in like a downtown LA building, charter schools. This guy just is like a Steve Wozniak in, in ground up development and value add. Like he just knows the, the city of LA, like the back of his hand. And he's such a strong operator. Yeah. And then the other guy's been doing, you know, flips and wholesales and these luxury flips. And he has great systems for operations and what types of finishes. And I'm like, man, these two guys, I could build something like a really strong foundation with some of these projects, but in in our backyard. Yeah. And honestly, over there, you know, for many years, all of us have done so good in this market. I know a lot of people go into, you know, Texas and Florida, and it's a much more, you know, landlord friendly state. But despite the, some of the challenges with that in California, like we've been still able to so far, right? We've been still able to perform really well. But I know there's like there's like a new five percent tax that they're it's like a, it's a mansion tax but things, like right? i personally think that for what you're doing and what i would be doing it wouldn't really apply to us okay like you're not so gonna it's go only on mansions it, well they say it's a mansion tax but ultimately <laughs> it's commercial real estate land oh industrial single family. Like, it's any type of property right Jeez. so it's like california loves taxes they but just... it's like five million to ten million is four and a half percent and then above ten is five and a half percent so you add in agent agent costs transfer taxes right. escrow it's like you know 12 13 percent so it's yeah. expensive, but I don't think it really matters to people that are going out there trying to get into Airbnb or people right. that want to do house flipping right. uh, that are new, right? right? But it's funny that you say that, like having that team. I had a uh, builder in LA that was absolutely just incredible. We met in a handshake. He did a ground up project for me. Uh, no contracts, nothing. I paid him over, it was like 260 or 270,000 for construction. And he basically would just let me know when he needed a check. And like, he was always on time. It was like unbelievable. And now I feel like, you know, if I were to try to do something in Florida, yeah. the odds of me getting that experience again, where I wouldn't have to micromanage the project seems yeah. unlikely. So like, yeah, yeah I, I understand what you're saying. And like really good operators like to be very hands-on. Like they go to the sites twice a week, three days a week on their way to this meeting. Like they like to pop in and check in and they're both like that. And I feel like, you know, when you're working on these types of real estate deals you need to have really strong operators because if you're just good at acquiring but don't have the back-end systems and the team it's just it's not going to work and so we have such a great system for what we're doing in our backyard that for the you know foreseeable future we want to keep doing projects there and then if we ever have to pivot into a different market then at that point we'll cross that bridge that makes a lot of sense well man you're doing some really really big things there at bnb and uh where can people find you on ig obviously you're crushing it there instagram make sure it's the one with the blue check mark uh, cause there's a ton of fake accounts out yeah. there, but yeah, at the Jorge Contreras. And you're also on, I think TikTok too, or yeah, are TikTok, you on YouTube? YouTube, I have a little solo podcast. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, thank you so much. I for appreciate the opportunity. Your break, <laughs> thank you.